0: The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org.
1: He took me by the hand and said, I'm going to show you what you need to know and learn in order to live with other people, in order to understand their situation, in order to have compassion
0: First Person guest will talk about her life which took her from African poverty to a successful career as a doctor serving people with the compassion of Christ. In a moment, Glenna Davis on her courageous journey of hope. Welcome to First Person, I'm Wayne Shepherd, And as we begin, I want to encourage you to visit firstpersoninterview.com where you can learn more about the guest you'll meet and learn about her book, Facing the Ocean. Also online, you'll see our schedule of what's ahead over the next few weeks and find the archive of past interviews to explore. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. These weekly conversations are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, which rejoices in hearing the stories of God at work in people's lives all over the world. FEBC takes the gospel into nearly 50 countries of the world through radio and new forms of media, and millions respond. To find out more, please visit febc.org. Our guest, Glenna Davis, was born in Sierra Leone. Her early life was lived in poverty, but as the Lord led, she became a doctor specializing in pediatric care. She's led a remarkable life and is now retired. She came to the First Person Studio for this conversation. You grew up in very difficult circumstances. As we mentioned, you were hungry. You often not only skipped a meal, but didn't have food for days. Correct. Tell me about your, your, your mom and your dad, your mother and your father.
1: Well, I, 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 there's such a contradiction. <laughs> um, they're both very bright in different ways. Uh, my father would, um, he, it, it doesn't take much for him to learn things. So he was very comfortable. He was very educated. He was very educated. And, he was, and um, uh, my mother, on the other hand, I always described her as always outside looking in.
0: But your home was difficult also because your father was absent much of the time.
1: Well, again, he, being an agriculturist, a lot of the farms were not in the city. And he taught at Jala College, which is...
0: um, Quite a distance from your home. Quite a
1: distance from Freetown. And so he was the person who, or one of the agriculturists that, I mean, he taught Um, at Jala College. He was also the uh, field hands instructor. He was, uh, but it required him to physically leave Freetown and go. But the good schools were in Freetown. So my mother had to stay with us so we could attend school.
0: Mm -hmm. But eventually this led to a estrangement between Uh, your mother and
1: father. Very much so. So my mother was, um, uh, uh, was a housewife and she stayed with us and then eventually her mother came to live with us. The structure of that home Since it was communally owned by siblings, there was no one person responsible, so my mother brought her mother to come and live with her. And, of course, to watch us when things got difficult so she could go find a job when there was not enough money in the house. So that's how our grandmother came to live with us my father would show up unannounced because there was no way to know he was coming if he had business in Freetown. Let's say he had to go to the Minister of Agriculture to present a paper or whatever it is. Of course, he came home. This was his home. He paid the rent. But where you we never lived. knew
0: when he was coming and going. We never,
1: us children never knew. You know, we lived in a society where children were not involved in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so we'd wake up. And, of course, if my grandmother was in the kitchen um, making an extra, whatever, breakfast, my father was home.
0: <laughs> so, that, you know,
1: that was different. Yeah.
0: You mentioned in the book a, a couple of times when you would seek out your father. Correct. Let's say he came to Freetown Correct. for a meeting at his office. Correct. And you would go to the office. Describe Correct. that for Correct. us. I,
1: it, it was a sense of foreboding. I, I, I looked very much like my dad and acted quite a bit like my dad. And by default, because I was not the introvert who sat quietly as my mother would wish the way her two daughters, her first two children. Mm -hmm. They're very calm. You know, they played with dolls. They combed the hair. No, I took the head off and looked inside (laughs) to see what was inside. A doctor
0: in the making. (laughs) And
1: that frustrated her greatly because she said, you don't talk like a lady. You don't sit like a lady. And she would try to groom me into this ladylike, which was just not my nature because I was out there climbing trees. Mm -hmm. And then I would... toe behind my dad and then we got kind of close because my dad and I share certain common personalities we talk a lot Um, we never fail to answer a question (laughs) and um, one of the things that I said to myself waking up one day, sure whenever he comes, when he leaves, he leaves them wanting more that's my dad and so that pining for him started very early, but it wasn't as though he deserted the home all at once it just it just took longer for the him to gradual come. Gradual thing. Gradual, yeah. and then inside my belly, I would say to myself, I, "I I didn't know what divorce meant. I didn't know what abandonment meant, but I just knew I missed him. And if by the time I was old enough, we walked everywhere because everything was within a mile and a half. Of church was just up the road and around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the few people who own cars." was one of him. I mean, he was one of those. C48, how can I forget? It's ingrained in my head. That was
0: his license plate on his car. That
1: was his license plate on his car. And so if I saw it, I knew he was in town. That is when he didn't come to our house. And so as their estrangement grew, his excuse was, no, I only came down for one day. I'm returning tonight. So that made sense to my mom. Mm -hmm. But then when his sisters kind of encouraged him and he would bring a friend to stay overnight at their house. Mm-hmm. Well, this was some kind of woman friend, but we didn't know and my mother didn't know. And so my only place that I knew to find him, because the Ministry of uh, Agriculture, there's a building. And when they got moved to this, uh, what was back then, high rise, oh, I could take the, elev- the lift.
0: The lift, uh, British, the lift, yes. yes uh-huh.
1: And go and wait but I'm checking, it's that, you know, when children peek around the corner, mm-hmm. you know, as a pediatrician, I can see when that query, I can feel that now. I wanted to know that he's still alive, not that i worried that he died. Is this a figment of my imagination? Why isn't he active in my life?
0: Yeah. So you go to his office to seek him out. That's correct. And it was really quite touching when you write about this in your book because it was a disappointment, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely, because it, it was almost that I was bothering him. And I think the worst part was my brother is 10 years younger. He was so proud to have a son because, you know, African men want sons. A lot of cultures want sons. My brother did not know my dad. I was the one that introduced him and he said, well, which one is he? Oh, I said the tall one in the middle because he had this big... I wouldn't say it's a mahogany desk, but this big table. And there were this two men in his office were, you know, stooped and looking at whatever it was on this table. And so when I put the paper in, because, you know, if you press the button that you wanted to come in, Mm. the green or red light would come on (laughs) and it goes green. And I said, Glenna, of course, how many Glenna's does he know? (laughs) And then he, he... press the latch, and I could come in, and here's me and, m- m- me and Ian, and Ian saying, which one is in? I said, the one in the middle. Oh. It, I, I was very hard. And again, it was beginning of my reality.
0: Yeah. Um, because he was quite dismissive, wasn't he?
1: Very much so, yeah. because I wasn't invited. He's in the middle of the work day, and I just show up. Well, what do you want? He's paid the rent, which is his job. Well, what more do you want? Was the question I think he was asking in in his head, yeah. so he would just acknowledge me, and then say, "Well, hurry home, you know. If you're late, you'll get in trouble with your mom or your grandmother." Mm-hmm. And that was that.
0: You tell many other stories in your book about your father, but at the same time, I get a sense that you nonetheless you loved him.
1: Oh, absolutely. As I said, he's the love him and leave them. He always leaves you wanting more because he had a great sense of humor. He's very bright. But he was like a rolling stone that gathered no moss. Mm-hmm. He died alone, sadly. He also had children besides his, uh, besides out of your wedlock. family, yeah. That's right.
0: You mentioned your mother had what you think was the equivalent of a third grade education. Yes. And yet, you look at her with great love and admiration, and you look to her for wisdom, didn't Absolutely.
1: you? Absolutely. This is a woman, and I describe her in the book as the woman with the black and white. There's no gray in my mom. My, gr- my grandmother, Constance, was all gray. Every circumstance could have an explanation, some support, and w- the, uh, the option of looking at that experience as to how it came about, how to avoid it in the future, or how to improve on it. Not my mother. Mm-hmm. If you stole the egg, you're a thief, period. There's nothing else to describe, and you must be punished. So, I call them my 10 and 2 when you drive. (laughs) The one that keeps you grounded. If you really search your soul, my mother will tell you the truth. My grandmother will not lie to you, but she'll say, well, you know, he was hungry, as I demonstrated in the book Mm -hmm. with Joseph, the neighbor. Who stole food. Mm -hmm. Yes. And she would say, but even though he did wrong, he was motivated by the hunger. Where was he supposed to go? How was he supposed to get the food? But here's why he must be punished. Because he forgot that if he could be hungry and he ate all the food or he ruined the food, other people would be hungry. That was the thing that was wrong.
0: Glenna, you are living in poverty, I would say, mm-hmm. in Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. You're a young woman, young mm-hmm. girl. Where did the idea ever come to you that you could be a doctor, a medical doctor? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, t- a couple of things happened, and I think I tell him the story about the little boy who got bit by a dog.
0: And you jump into action.
1: Yes, but it isn't that we haven't seen other people being bit. Okay. Um, so none of it was so so new, but that I knew, the blood was too much. You tie something, yeah. You know, so I. The, but I also took a cab, <laughs> a taxi. I didn't have any money. You
0: hailed a cab to get him to the hospital. To get
1: him because the hospital was down the road and to the left. To walk there, I would have to carry him. I yeah, couldn't carry I him. die on the way. And I didn't know that either. But yeah. again, it was just the taxi was going past. I just put my hand out. We hopped in the taxi. I said, Connaught Hospital, and huh. we went. Okay. But the defining moment was when they thought I was his sister, or always a relative, because I brought him to the hospital with a tourniquet on. And they patted me on my head and said, oh, my gosh, you are so good if he wasn't. You know, all the a- a- accolades and whatever. <laughs> And I thought, and they said, you should be a doctor, or you can be a doctor. And I can't remember the exact words, but that seed got planted. I'm thinking, all right, so then if these doctor people here telling me this is a great thing to do, I should do more of this. Everybody would think I'm all that. (laughs) But there was the third part. You gave me a doll. It didn't survive. The heads came you had off. To take it apart. Yeah, the arms will come. I always wanted, and then um, back then um, they used to have this little circular thing if you, that was inserted inside the back of the doll. If you tilted the doll, it cried. Uh
0: huh. Uh-huh.
1: And so I wanted to know what made the doll cry. So that's what I was after.
0: So, <laughs> so anatomy was always under anatomy. My-
1: <laughs> all of the and as I said, the book is most is really a retrospective view, it's almost like somebody took my hand, and it usually happened at night after I'd slept, that somebody would take me back and walk me through all of these things and put them together.
0: More lessons from the life of Dr. Glenna Davis coming up in just a moment on First Person. Stay with us. And there are so many stories of God who worked through the Far East Broadcasting Company. We just had to find a way to tell more. Well, you know, Wayne, hearing all these testimonies has absolutely changed my life. And I want to use a podcast to be able to go deeper with some of the real stories that I get to see as the gospel's going out all around the world. And these stories will change your life, too. So listen to the new weekly podcast until all have heard from FEBC. Listen at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Or go to febc.org. Our guest is Glenna Davis, a retired medical doctor who was born in Sierra Leone. During this time in your life, were you conscious of God? Were you uh, talking to God? were you?
1: Well, first uh, interaction with God was me coming out the door with a rifle, saying, "Fix this and now because you're the powerful God."
0: Oh I see what you mean. okay.
1: A- and, and, and charging at him, saying, "How could you? I couldn't understand death. You know, if a child died, I couldn't understand. Come on, doesn't it say that he's a loving God? Mm -hmm. That he could, you know, he was my marionette. That could fix anything. Mm -hmm. That was my God. He was the one with the power, but he was also the one with the compassion. So then I learned to say, all right, if I can't yell you interaction, I could beg you Mm -hmm. by kneeling and begging you earnestly to fix it. And that simplicity actually stayed with me until my first patient died. That boy and I were so, he had leukemia. He was the most cheerful, hopeful, but he always liked to take the pen light out of my coat pocket, and I would distract him because I had to draw his blood. And I would hang out, and his parents trusted me. And I said to God, but I'm going to make you a deal. Just... Do not let this child who's so loved by his parents, who's so wonderful, this is the one time you have a chance to demonstrate to me that I've been faithful. Everything you've asked of me, God, I have done, or I've tried my best to do. I'm simply asking a simple favor in your abundance of charity. Extend him some charity. And yes, he may have some complications, but don't let him die. And I trusted. I believed it. When I came back, they had pulled the sheets over his head. I think that was the last outrage. I can still feel my heart skipping. And I said, there is no God. This is all a joke. This is all fake. This is so you can believe what you want, but this, I'm wasting my time asking you, Because, you know, parents, God, my father, parents will do anything for their children. And here I am a child of God, asking you this one favor that you couldn't do. You couldn't see it in your heart. What kind of God are you? And the anger was so immense. I didn't have a mental breakdown, but they gave me three days off to pull myself together. And I cried uncontrollably. I couldn't clerk any patients. I couldn't do anything. And then the mother <laughs> came to me and she said, well, we all lost him, not just you. because You know, we have a saying in Creole, you cannot grieve more than the bereaved. And that's it appeared that I was doing. And that loss for me was tremendous. This was different. This was end of life as I knew it, for this child.
0: This was a crisis moment for This you.
1: was crisis. This was a done deal. They put the sheets, the white sheets, they pulled the sheets over his head and they were going to take him to the morgue. So where do we go from here? Where is that loving God that can do anything? Where's my magician? And so I said, either my magician died or he never lived. And so I went into a period of unbelief, hostility, not towards anybody, but to Anything resembling human, all I needed to do was, you know, I think I saw a movie. Was all I had to be was be black and die. That was my. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I was going to put my hands to. But anything else that required um, energy outside of my immediate responsibility, it was like a hands off of. I was very cold inside.
0: Glenna, I get the sense from your story that God was patiently. Waiting for you to work through these issues mm-hmm. so that you came to faith. Mm-hmm. You came to that place of simple faith.
1: I think he dragged me by my nose, kicking and <laughs> screaming. Because I kept saying, He, and I want, in fact, just last week I said, God, I don't have any fight left. Do not, br- the challenges and the landings, I just don't think I have the, f- I'm here. I know you're here. And I'll walk wherever. And I saw the string of, that connected everything. And I said, Really? Did, you, did we have to go through that path for me to learn this? Couldn't
0: you just. <laughs> Wasn't there an easier way?
1: <laughs> I asked him for the blueprint. Okay. I simply said, You know, you could have just given me the blueprint. I could have just read it. You know, I could read.
0: <laughs> but if you saw it ahead of time. I would have said no. You didn't have enough money to eat more than once a day, or sometimes not at all, even when you were a medical student. Mm-hmm. So all those stories together have added up to a life now of, of faith and of uh, of gratefulness, mm-hmm. I have to assume, on mm-hmm. your part, right? Mm-hmm. Is that how you feel?
1: I, I, I think I'm the luckiest person that I know. To have been born in the circumstance they are, they found themselves in, because nobody chooses the eggs from which they come, mm-hmm. nor the, l- l- the, yeah. the latitude in which they're born.
0: And nobody would choose to grow up where you grew up in poverty.
1: N- at all. Nobody in their right mind would say, oh, yeah, let me go through that. But to come full circle and now to be able to stand and watch others and see what they're going through. And I have plenty
0: Glenna, there are so many stories in your book that we have not touched on whatsoever. So many lessons that you learned along the way. It's a great book uh, Mm -hmm. to gain some wisdom and to understand God and his ways. How do you look at God now at this point in your life? After you've been through this lifetime that you've been through Mm -hmm. and seen all that you've seen, experienced all these things, Mm -hmm. how do you view God now?
1: I, I think he's my greatest teacher. And I think when I always would ask, why are we here I can't explain heaven and earth. I'm not sure as a scientist that I can explain it away. But I know now that in order to get to wherever it is we go, this has to be some kind of a learning podium. And he was my greatest teacher. And so all of those life lessons, I say, oh, my gosh, I must be one of the headstrong pupils that you've had, you really had to knock me upside the head (laughs) in order for me to learn this lesson, rather than a very simple, giving me a simple blueprint that I could just read and say, oh, so this is how how things are. No, he took me by the hand and said, I'm going to show you in this life what you need to know and learn in order to live with other people, in order to understand their situation, in order to have compassion. And so on the list is Quite long, in order for me to be the Glenna that I am today, but to say to uh, the world, I was given some gifts. How are you going to use it in the story about the man with the talents? Are you just going to bury it and say, Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a th- cardiothoracic surgeon, you know, and then just walk around, you know, with a with a kind of a <laughs> whatever a st- yes,
0: air of superiority, right? Yeah.
1: Or you can get in the trenches and make a difference for somebody who doesn't yet know those lessons that you've learned. That hunger on its own is not necessarily a stick to beat you with. That's the way I felt for a while. I have a love-hate relationship with food. I love to eat. I will grow anything now to eat it. But it's not the end all. It's what sustains us. And so food is a euphemism now for me for different things that in the course of living this life that you become your brother's keeper and always include people so that the word me is not your first word. It's a we, that you care for one another the way God asks us to care for. for, He asks us to do that and to make that your number one goal. If you respect other people, the care comes very quickly. You know, you don't just say, oh, well, let's tolerate them. You know, if I say to you, go home to your wife and say, oh, honey, I tolerate you. See how well that works? <laughs> it's not going to work. But if you say, you know, I, I-, I want to help you or oh, how can I help you? Or, the we thing. And that for me, I now live in Carolina where I do still practice the we thing and It's brought me a lot of friends.
0: I'm so glad we had this opportunity to sit down and talk, to get to know you and the miracle that God has worked in your life. God bless you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Our guest has been Dr. Glenna Davis, now retired as a pediatrician, who, as you heard, has led a life of service and sacrifice. We only briefly touched on a few of her many stories today, but there's much more in her book. It's titled Facing the Ocean. We've placed a link to her book at firstpersoninterview.com. These stories of how God leads and provides for people inspire all of us. And if you'd like to hear more First Person Interviews, we've archived hundreds of them at firstpersoninterview.com. You can listen online or with our smartphone app, First Person Interview, available free in your app store. A special word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for assisting in bringing these interviews to you. Many of you have responded to FEBC as a result of First Person, and that is a huge encouragement in bringing you these weekly conversations. FEBC has such great stories. Check out more at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd, hoping you'll join us again for First Person.